We're going to look this morning for a few moments at three ways to prepare our hearts for Christmas. Sometimes at Christmas, approaching Christmas, there's so much going on, isn't there? I, I don't bemoan the fact that there is so much going on. I'm not one of these that says, oh, I don't like this or I don't like that. I'm the type of person that I embrace everything. Because I, 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 I don't do much. My, my wife, Helen, seems to do amazing things. <laughs> Shh, don't tell her that. <laughs> but, uh, I, well, I can embrace it. She does many things. But it, it, I, I embrace. But you find, uh, as we approach... Uh, this sort of this, this the season, the Christmas season. There's so much that can be going on, and just like in the film clip, there, there's life can get full of so many things, things that we need to do, must do, haven't done, should do, and there's lots of good things. You know, there's shopping, there's things, and, and, and not all shopping's bad. It's if it overtakes our lives, and as you saw in the film, there, when things take over our life. You notice it was all rubbed out, and then it's getting back to the main thing, making the main thing. The main thing. The main thing is that someone. It's not something. Christmas isn't about something, but Christmas is about someone. And it's making that someone the main one in our lives. Making the main thing the the, the main thing. And so it was all rubbed out. And at the end of the day, it's okay to have lots of things going on. But in all of that that's going on, not to lose what it's really all about. Now, I know you would say that Christmas, you know, it's not just at Christmas, but it's every day we, we're, we're looking at the Lord Jesus Christ. I agree with you completely. But the Christmas season allows people to reflect, particularly Christians, but also the world at large that isn't, doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an amazing opportunity to look at what's the point of life, what's it really all about, and our relationship with Almighty God, through his living son, Jesus Christ, in the power of the person of the Holy Spirit. So that's where we're going to go this morning, looking really this morning at preparing, how we prepare our hearts for this time of the year, and because there's a lot going on. So just a few observations and uh, reflections. So we're looking to look at three ways to prepare our hearts for Christmas. This is not a definitive list, but there's a few things I've observed in my own life so I'm going to speak about my own life, first of all, and uh, a bit of an observation on life, church life. And um, as my wife, Helen, pointed out to me the other day, as uh, she was gazing at me lovingly in a Starbucks with family and friends, and I thought she was gazing at me lovingly, she said, haven't you gone quite white these days, Adrian? <laughs> I thought she was looking at me, you know, and uh, I, so I, I suppose I've started to get a bit, a bit a bit more grey-haired as the years have gone by. So I feel as if I've maybe been around a little bit now and observed a few things. Not that I know everything. I don't know very much at all, actually. But there's a few observations and some things that I've found in my own life. So let's have a look at a couple of things this morning. Three things. Three simple things that will help us um, in life. First of all, number one, don't, uh, three things. So there's uh, three things that i found. So first thing is this. Don't let familiarity breed contempt. You know, sometimes in, in life, um, you know, particularly the Christmas story, we, we can get, you can get used to it. If you've been a Christian a little while, you get used to it. Have a look at this. Um, what about you? I'm totally excited about your first Christmas sermon. It, it's just going to be an experience I'll never forget. Alice, my first Christmas sermon was last Christmas. <laughs> 
chose a boring subject. What, the birth of Jesus Christ? Otherwise known as the greatest story ever told. Well, yeah, first time you hear it. But after that, it's a bit predictable, isn't it? Man and woman get to in, in full. Woman has baby in manger, angels sing on high, blah, blah, blah. You have forgotten to mention that that baby is, in fact, the son of God. Oh, yeah, I know. I mean, that's a nice twist. My point is this, and uh, that was well edited out, quite a lot edited out of that, actually, as well. Um, but my point is this, familiarity. Alice there is saying, you know, you know, she heard the story again and again. And the danger can be, sometimes with the Bible, particularly for us as Christians, born again, a spirit-filled, Pentecostal, whatever you want to call yourself, I don't know what it might be, but we get used to things. I get used to things in life. When I had a new car, it was lovely and rosy and wonderful and great. Uh, a few months down the line, a few trolleys that Asda have bumped into it, you think, oh, I've just got to get on with it. You just get used to stuff. And there is that danger in life that we get familiar, and particularly with the Christmas story, what we call the Christmas story, but those particular verses and those parts of the New Testament that speak of the birth of Jesus and the enunciation of Jesus and the wise men or the magi, uh, and, but all those parts of the story, the Bible story, we can get used to it a little bit. And we sort of, the familiarity, familiarity, if we're not careful, sort of breeds something in us. And it can happen in not just the Christmas story, I think any part of the Bible, if I'm honest with you. And I've been a Christian a few years now, and I know that's what can happen in me. So that I need to do. So first of all, in preparing our hearts for this Christmas, is don't let familiarity get to you. How can I do that? You know, the Bible isn't just letters on a page, but it's life. This Bible that we read, whether you read it on a tablet, on your smartphone, or you actually read, you know, in a paper version in front of you, which I quite like to do as well, this isn't just letters on a page. They're the word of life. They are life and spirit and truth. The truth. It's not just a book, a good book, an amazing book, but it's the truth. It's the truth. Um, have you ever had, and we understand also this, that in, um, the Bible shows us in the New Testament that all scripture is God-breathed. In 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is God-breathed. In other words, the New Testament, the Old Testament, all the verses, all the pages of the Bible, it's breathed, inspired by God. It's not just any old book, a good book, a good read. It's an amazing Life, not just letters, but life. Now, if you can get hold of that, you get hold of everything. You get hold of absolutely everything. All scripture is God-breathed. Another translation says, given by divine inspiration. In other words, the Bible, the Old and New Testament, is given by God, by divine inspiration. Not just letters, but life. And so it's a spiritual life. Truth and life. Have you ever had that experience when you've been reading a verse or you're reading a passage or reading a part of the Bible that you've read before? You've read it quite a bit. And, well, that's okay. But this time you're reading it and it seems to jump out the page. Wave at me if that's ever happened to you. Quite a lot of us. Quite a, well, yeah, it does. Because it's life. It's spirit. It's inspired. It's not just any old book. And this is what we need to lay hold of. It's 
life, hope, and inspiration. Now, a man called Paul said to a group of Christians in an area called Colossae, uh, he wrote a, a letter to them called the Letter to the Colossians. He said this, so inspired was he, not realizing everything that he was writing necessarily as well, but probably beginning to realize, but looking at the Old Testament scriptures that he would have in front of him and the words that he was beginning to, to write about Jesus. He said this to the Colossians in chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell among you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell amongst you richly. So inspired was he about the power of these words of life. Another translation puts it like this in the Amplified, Colossians 3.16. Let the spoken word of Christ have its home within you, dwelling in your heart and mind, permeating every aspect. That's Colossians 3.16 from the Amplified version, where the whole Greek text has been amplified. I'll read it to you again. Let the spoken word of Christ have its home within you, dwelling in your heart and mind. How about this bit? Permeating every aspect. Percolating, permeating every aspect of your being. Such was this understanding of the power and life and divine energy in the word of God. So don't let familiarity breed contempt. Get used to it. How do we do that then? Well, realize that it's inspired. It's by God. It's of God. So this is a little prayer that I pray. Holy Spirit, may this, this is so simple. Holy Spirit, make this fresh to me today. Make it alive. Two years ago, as I began to read the New Testament and start a reading plan afresh with a new sense of purpose, that was my prayer every day. Every day. And now, the Word of God is becoming fresher and fresher and aliver and aliver, if if that's a proper word. But it's becoming alive, more alive. And there are days when I I can read. But, you know, it's life and hope. It's divine life and healing and energy and hope because it's the Word of God. Of God. You know, we've forgotten that sometimes. We've, because you get it on a Kindle, the Kindle download version. But it's from God. It's not from wherever it is where you download it on the uh, iStore or the App Store, whatever it is. But it's from the heart of God. Not from the App Store, but the very heart of God. So pray, Holy Spirit, make this fresh. Make this word fresh. Make the Christmas story. Make the Annunciation. Make the wonder of the angels. Make the wonder of the Magi. Let some of that rub off on me this year. I want to know you, fresh Jesus, in the pages of your living word. And do you know an amazing thing happens? Because it's life. The two on the road to Emmaus said this, were not our hearts strangely warmed when he, that is Jesus, opened up the scriptures to us during the breaking of bread. They were bursting with life, power, energy, divine energy, and hope, the Spirit of God. Prayer, Holy Spirit, make this fresh to me today. Second thing. So, don't let become familiar. Pray for it to be fresh and alive this year. And that's my prayer, every year. Second thing is, um, is there room at the inn? Is there room at the inn? You know the story, whether it was a, a, a room, a side room, they went to a, a place to lodge, and maybe this was a, a barn that was then given to them. But his tradition talks about this idea of an inn. I came across a little story, and you know the, you know the story, when they, when they went for the census, the family arrive, and the town is packed, so there isn't much room. 
And uh, there's a picture there about making room in our lives, in a very busy life today, making room for God, making room for Jesus, making room for the Holy Spirit. Uh, I came across a story, and it's it, uh, nativities are amazing things. Um, great opportunity for children to learn the Christmas story, maybe don't even attend church. Fewer and fewer children go to Sunday school today, so with some of the way the nativity is going with um, aliens and lobsters and uh, SpongeBob and all sorts of things turning up at the nativity player, whatever it might be, maybe. But um, nativities are amazing things. And came across a, a couple of stories about true stories about nativities. Anything can happen at a nativity. You, if you've attended a nativity, you, you can sometimes see that unprepared things can happen. And if you go on GodTube, uh, there's some amazing um, videos, Christian videos of nativity plays, and there's some amazing things out there. But I'm not going to show you one of those. But I came across a story, and it was a story of a, a, a one little lad. There was a whole group of children. They were being chosen to uh, play different parts in the nativity play. And um, this one little boy wanted to be Joseph. Big part. The biggest part. You know, well, baby Jesus is the biggest part, but this was an even bigger part because you've got to... You know, you might be saying something. So this little boy wanted to be Joseph. And the teacher said, there's no way. No, no, no. You're not going to be Joseph. Now, this little boy got very upset and became really, really grumpy throughout being chosen. And so eventually the teacher relented and said, look, I'll tell you what, you can be the innkeeper. That's what you can be because the part has been given to another little lad. Anyway, this little boy grudgingly takes the part of the innkeeper. He wasn't happy. And uh, throughout everything, the whole proceedings, the, the rehearsals and everything else, really, really grumpy. Anyway, it comes to the, the night of the performance. He's still not happy. He's still not happy. And um, this uh, a writer called Gervais Finn, who was a school inspector, and he's writing from his journey and life, and he recalls this story. And this is what happened on the night. It's very short. But on the night of the performance, Mary and Joseph arrived at the inn. Picture the scene beautiful stage set, lights dimmed, all the mums and dads, families in, caregivers. Amazing evening. Mary and Joseph arrive at the inn and knocked on the door. The innkeeper, grumpy, the innkeeper who had remained grumpy all through the rehearsals, opened the door with a great beaming smile. Da-da! You can imagine. This is big part sort of thing. Innkeeper, innkeeper, Joseph began. We have travelled many miles in the darkness and cold. May we come in? She can come in, the innkeeper said, pulling Mary through the door, but you can push off. (laughs) In the background, the exasperated teacher in the wings, no, no, you silly boy, brought proceedings to a halt. And a moment later, Mary emerged from the inn to join her bemused spouse, and they headed for the stable downstage where a large pink plastic doll representing baby Jesus sat propped up in the manger. No, you can push off. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the surprise on all that? But, you know, there's this understanding that there wasn't much room. There's no room. Is there room in our lives, your life and my life? I asked myself that question. Um, There's a story of a, a church in Ireland, and one of the ladies said to the pastor, I'd like to do a coffee morning. I've got a small house I've only got a small front room. I may have told this little anecdotal story, so forgive me if you've heard it. But she says, I, I, you know, I'd love to do this coffee morning. So the pastor says, please do. Oh, by all means, anything you can do, it'd be great. So she starts to run this coffee morning, small house, small, not, not a massive front room. And uh, 
three or four ladies turn up. She says, Pastor, Pastor, it was amazing. We filled the room. There were three or four. You, you know where we're going in that. You know this story. There's three. I think it goes like this. There's three or four ladies turn up. It was amazing. I said, wow, that's fantastic. Next week, the lady comes and says, Pastor, Pastor, you wouldn't believe it. This week, we had six turn up. We were in the front room. It was, we were full. And the pastor scratches his head and says, but you were full when you had three. You only got a small front room. So now you've got six. So she says, well, I, I just took, took out my, um, a few chairs, a, a few chairs up the way, made it, made it a bit more room. And then the next week, she, 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 she comes and says, Pastor, Pastor, we had 15, 15 in the room. And he scratches his head again and says, look, you told me when you had three, you were packed out. He says, this time, I took the cabinet out of the way and we, we got more in. The, the idea of the story was that she made room for her guests. She made room. Eventually, there was nothing else in the room but people, and they fitted all these people in. And the picture is for you and I, is there room in our hearts? Do, can we make room for the Lord Jesus Christ? Can we make room for Father God? Can we make room for the Holy Spirit? As Christians, we can be very busy in church life. We can be very busy in our personal life. I, can, I know for a fact, in most people's jobs today, we've been talking about this a lot as a church there's more and more coming our way. And, and, and we're all struggling to find room and space for just life. It's about this year, coming before God and saying, Lord, I just want there to be room, space in my heart, in my mind, for the wonder of your love, for Holy Spirit, for you just to move. For Father God, no agenda. My agendas, my plans, the things I like, the things I dislike, the things I want, the things I don't want, the way I like it, what's good about it, what's not good about it, the traditions, whatever it might be. I don't know, maybe you have to make some changes in your life. I don't know what it might be, but it's making place, a space. You see, Jesus needs space, and to do that, we have to give him a place. He loves to have space. He says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. It's in the book of Revelation. He's speaking to a church, a group of Christians. I'm standing at the door and I knock. If anyone opens that door, I will come in and be with them and they will eat and we will share food together. We will have a banquet together. He loves to have a place. But to do that, we have to give him space. I find that very hard sometimes in my life. Um, And particularly as our church is growing again now. I know that there's some things that I can't have a handle on everything in church anymore and, and I can't have everything the way I might want to have it and say and I've just got to give space and give others now the place and, uh, to, and uh, I'm learning something. I feel very challenged to learn some things in my own life to sort of say, okay God, others are now going to do things far better than I can and that's, that's great. But giving space and a place for God to move, Holy Spirit to move in our hearts and in our lives. Is there room at the inn of your heart and mind and spirit? You know, Jesus wants to be the center, the very center of all in whom we are. Jesus at the center of it all. There's a great song there. Jesus at the center of it all. And we, 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 we talk about that all the time as a church, don't we? All of our songs are based towards Jesus. We're encouraging everyone in church to follow Jesus. We're encouraging everybody to look towards Jesus, live for Jesus, love Jesus, walk with Jesus, act like Jesus, be Jesus. Make him at the very center of it all. Make him at the center of it all. Room at the end. Thirdly and finally, so don't let it become familiar. 
Let it be fresh. Make space and make room. Say, this year, Lord, I'm going to give you space, fresh room in my heart. For some of us who've been Christians, this year is your first year, your first Christmas, maybe as a born-again believer, and you, your just heart's wide open, and this is you're just... But for others of us, perhaps it's just a time to make more space. And finally, there's this understanding that the, the desire to be lost in the wonder of worship again. To be lost in the wonder of worship. Um, several Christmases ago, I, I felt really challenged. I think we called it uh, the wonder of Christmas or something like that. We had a tagline for one of our, uh, all of our Christmas publicity. Uh, something that Andrew's really amazing at, Pastor Andrew is amazing at just coming up with taglines and, and uh, encapsulates the whole of a, an, an idea and, and, and a vision. And, uh, and something that really captured me was this idea of restoration of wonder, the wonder of the love of God, the grace of God. It all happened around about two, two or three years, four years ago, probably a bit, bit, bit further back, perhaps. And um, I began to pray about a restoration at this Christmas. I just discover the wonder of your presence, the wonder of your love, the wonder of forgiveness. It's, it's pretty amazing and wonderful. And I don't feel like that all the time because I get used to things. And I began to pray like that for a little while. And um, Jesus began to do something fresh. This is what he said. To, uh, Jesus encountered a lady at a, a well in John chapter 4, verse 23. You don't have to turn to it, but you may want to note it. But in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verse 23, Jesus meets a lady at the well, and they began to have a conversation. They talk about water, and then he talks about her life, and it leads on to worship and and understanding that he's a prophet. And and then she starts to talk to him and say to him, she says to him, she gets a bit religious on him because he starts to get through to her heart and see her heart. So she puts up a bit of a religious barrier and then says this to him. She says, you know, you, you Jews, uh, you say you worship at Jerusalem. That's the right place. And we, I'm a Samaritan, we say we worship on this mountain. It's Mount Gerizim. There's a big discussion. And then Jesus says this to her in verse 23. Um, I'm going to quote it from the Amplified Version, which I really love. A time is coming and is already here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit, and then he says, and in truth. And in brackets it says, in spirit, from the heart, the inner self, and in truth, for the Father seeks such people to be his worshippers. A time is coming and is already here, says Jesus, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit, from the heart, the inner self, and in the truth. For the Father seeks such people to be his worshippers. You know, the geography of worship isn't where you're seated, whether you sit at the back or the front. It's not the type of music. It's not, um, you know, the style. It's not whether, you, you know, you like it fast or slow, contemporary. Although I do have those type of preferences probably myself. I would know my colors to the mast. But the geography is not that, but it's the geography of our hearts. What counts is your heart. Um, God says of a man called David, he's a man after my own heart. Your heart. When God looks, it's not where you're seated and how you're sitting, but he looks at the seat of your heart. He looks at your heart. He loves your heart. He wants our hearts. Jesus comes to live in the kingdom of God, in us, with us, through us. Our heart, mind, soul, and spirit. And there's this understanding of, of um, 
the heart. Now, that led me to, to say something some years ago, that worship is, an ab- is of the abandoned heart in the hands of a loving father. Worship. Worship is my abandoned heart in the hands of a loving heavenly father. That's worship. It's not the geography, whether my hands are raised or I'm running around or seated quietly. You can do all those things. But worship is my abandoned heart. My heart given to God. I say abandoned because I'm going to give. We give our lives to Jesus Christ. We give our lives to God. Worship is the abandoned heart in the hands of a loving father. We, we see that. Jesus basically is saying that in John 4 verse 23 and says it again and again. You see, wide open hearts are filled with wonder. I've discovered this. If I can open my heart, if I can swing the door of my heart wide, the gates of my heart, my mind, my spirit, my soul, if I can open my heart to God, he will fill me with his wonderful love, his amazing compassion, his incredible mercy. I'll have a revelation. I'll understand. I will feel. I will know something of this amazing, incredible God. But it's about the geography of my heart. Where is your heart? How is your heart this morning? In Psalm 24, verse 7, we read these words. Different translations say, put it slightly different, but swing wide the gate and let the king of glory in. Another translation says, open up ancient gates. Open up and let the king of glory in. The picture there is like the, the temple gates or the tabernacle doors or the temple gates. Jerusalem being opened, the city gates. Open, wide open for the king of glory to burst in. Well, in the New Testament, in these days, the doors and the gates are the doors of our hearts. It's not the building. There's no building. But God inhabits people. And so now we're called to swing wide the gate, the abandoned heart. For we love to worship. Not even the songs, but the heart. God looks at our hearts. We can prepare for Christmas. We can prepare our hearts by swinging wide the gate. Hard if you're hurt been talking a lot about that. Very difficult if we're so busy and cluttered and so much stuff is full. Today, will you swing wide the door of life, the door of our hearts, and let the king of glory in? The magi, um, we call them the wise men, the magi, the stargazers, those they were eastern wise followers. And uh, it says in, in Matthew, with this we'll be closing, but in Matthew Chapter 2, verse 11, it says, When the Mazai, some people do them as kings, but they're really wise men. But when the, the wise men found Jesus, it says in, in Matthew 2, verse 11, when they came across him and came upon him, by now he was a baby, a, 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 an infant, maybe a year or two old, because it took him a long time to get there from following the star. It says uh, uh, they, didn't, they didn't come and, I hope this hasn't destroyed Christmas for you, but they didn't come and present their gifts to a, a little baby, probably been a, a, a young child. But it says this, and this is the point. When they found him, they bowed down and worshipped him. Wide open hearts. They've been traveling a long time and they were desperate to see this amazing king, this amazing God, this wonderful one. See, when your heart is wide open, I think every camel's step, every drink they took across that eastern desert, they were moving towards our hearts open to wonder. Our hearts open to wonder. When you open your heart, no wonder it says, it says, it says there they bowed down and worshipped him. 
the translation doesn't quite do it justice. It really means they threw themselves on the floor. They came charging in and just fell at his feet. You can imagine Mary and Joseph thinking, wow, oh, this is incredible. All these people coming in. It was wonderful because they were filled with wonder. See, when your heart is open, wonder banishes routine. I find this, wonder banishes routine. It does away with the routine of Christianity. It does away with the routine of church. If I can discover this wonder, and it's as simple as opening up my heart, it banishes the routine. Ever heard when people say, oh, I didn't get nothing out of that. Oh, I didn't really like that. We all go through that. I go through that. But I find as I discover wonder afresh, as I open up my heart, when I start to feel like that, I think I've got to open my heart more to you, Lord. I'm going to just discover your grace, discover your mercy, let a revelation, let it become fresh to me again. That which is in, that which is there, released, make room, allow freedom, open up mind, heart, soul and spirit. Wonder banishes routine. Lost in wonder. We sing some of those songs, don't we? Lost in wonder, lost in worship. God is good. So, three things that we can do this year to prepare our hearts. As we come before God, let's get our hearts ready, willing, open before him. Don't let it become familiar. Pray. Let it be fresh, Holy Spirit. Let the word, let these words that we're looking, we're reading, that I'm reading, become fresh. Make room, secondly. Let there be an open, wide space in our heart and mind. Just say, Lord, I'm going to give you whatever you want to do. I'm opening up my heart to you. And finally, pray. I pray for a fresh sense of wonder, fresh sense of that grace, a a fresh encounter with the wonder of your love. As you do those things, I guarantee it has worked for me and it will work for you. God stirs, opens Routine is banished. Let's pray. Lord God, we want to be prepared. John the Baptist prepared the way of the Lord. And now I open up my heart to prepare just to be open afresh to you. Love you, Lord Jesus. Love you today. Now, Father God, just see our hearts as we hear your word this morning. And I pray these simple things, it's just simple things of opening, preparing, losing myself, asking it to be fresh. Holy Spirit, would you just be fresh? Your word jump out the page to me. My heart be open to whatever you want to do. No barriers. And let the wonder of your love grip me again. Father, we love you, we honour you, we adore you, we give you thanks, we give you our hearts afresh in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together, we're going to sing. So this evening we have a night of worship, it's a way of preparation, we call it adore because we're going to do what the wise men did, come and love him. Do you know something amazing is happening in our church, fresh things are stirring. About 18 months ago, in our evening meeting, once a month, we said we would just do nothing but just come and adore. People were saying to me, well, what are we going to do? What are you going to say? I said, I'm not going to say nothing. We're going to come and love him and worship him. People would say to me, well, what are you going to do? What are we going to happen? I, I said, I don't know. We're just going to go and love God. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw the world to myself. He's doing it. He's doing it. And in these 18 months, amazing things, God stirring in people's hearts and lives, things happening in our church and community.
Open hearts. That's all it takes to an amazing God. God bless you, folks.